are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Why don't you look at the person beside you and say, you sure are looking good this morning. Just go ahead and see how that works for you. We need to share some love because we're going to talk about fighting this morning, okay? But not the good fight, the bad fight is what we're talking about today. You ever find yourself in a confrontation or an altercation with maybe your spouse, a family member, a coworker, maybe just somebody out in public? And you walk away from the situation and you say to yourself, Well, I did not handle that well. Is there anybody else in the room that needs to hear this sermon this morning besides me? Okay. As Jesus followers, we walk away feeling empty and ashamed. And and the reason is, is because we feel like I did not represent Christ well at all. If the idea is that that person is supposed to see Jesus in me, then the Jesus that I showed them is very disappointing. And I don't know why they would want to follow him. we're, We're in a climate in our society that is shifting And so we've not only been through a pandemic, but we've come through a lot of other stuff. We are are more divided than, than I remember ever in my lifetime. It seems to me like that we are on edge. And and it seems to me that some people are just looking to fight. You feel that. And so we're in the series called Fight, and we're talking about fighting the good fight, the fight of faith. We know that we're going to have temptations along the way. There's going to be distractions. If we're going to live this life that Jesus called us to, we're going to have to fight for it, you know. However, there's also this this bad fight that we want to avoid. And, And I believe that I'm at a point this morning to say that to fight the good fight means simply this, that we have to fight to not fight. If we're going to fight the good fight, I believe it means that we're going to have to fight to not fight. We're going to have to try hard to avoid the fight because I think there's a fight looking for everybody. So before I take you to 2 Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it's hard to mess that up. It's all twos. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Before I get there, I want to remind you of the context. Paul is in a prison in Rome, and he is writing a letter to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. He sent Timothy to Ephesus because the church is in a fight. They're arguing, arguing, they're quarreling. They've got false teachers that are stirring up all kinds of stuff, and, and they're just going at it. And, and you might say, well, what are, what are they fighting about? What are they arguing about? What are they quarreling about? Well, I mean, it, it's a long list. It's about um, 
marriage. It's about the law. It's about genealogy. It's about myths. It's about um, food, money, the resurrection. You might look back at that church and say, that church in Ephesus, they have some issues, right? And that church in Ephesus, if it could look in the future, it might look at the Church of America today and say, they've got some issues, right? I mean, it kind of goes both ways. There's some stuff going on in our world today. And so Paul writes him to say, now that I've sent you there, let me tell you how to handle all of this quarreling that's going on and all of these uh, arguments that are going on and all this fighting that's going on in the church. Is there anything worse than a church fight? It may be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And so let me read you what Paul writes to Timothy. You ready? Here's what he says. He says, Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. What do you think he's talking about? Anybody young in the room? Anybody remember evil desires of youth? And pursue righteousness and faith and pursue love and pursue peace along with those who are called on the, who call on the Lord rather out of a pure heart. In other words, enjoy the fellowship of those who have a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Growing up, my mom would not really let us say stupid. And, and we certainly, there were four of us kids and we couldn't call each other stupid. And there's something very liberating about standing in church on a Sunday morning and saying stupid. I just, I appreciate the opportunity because I never got to say it. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Don't, that's stupid. Don't be stupid, right? <clears throat> because you know that they produce quarrels. <clears throat> and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to who? Everybody. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Could we say together, thanks be to God. I read an article recently about, um, about polls that are taken on the streets of America today about Christians. And invariably, when when people on the street are asked to describe Christians, words like this surface to the top. Harsh, uh, intolerable, self-righteous, mean-spirited, anti-this, anti-that. But the guy writing the article is a Christian, and he says, interestingly, when we ask people on the street to describe what Jesus is like in polls that are taken, 
in America, we get words like this, compassionate and kind and gentle and loving and good. And there seems to be a gap in the way that people in America view Jesus and in the way people view Jesus' followers. Now, when I see this, it aggravates me. It aggravates me because I know a lot of Christians who I would describe as good and kind and gentle and loving and compassionate. And and it aggravates me because there's some people who wear the name Christian who are harsh and who are mean-spirited and who are intolerable. And who are self-righteous. And it gives the other Christians a bad name. So it, it aggravates me some. It's, it's, it's been a view that has been prevailing for a long time. This is not new, okay? You remember the words of Gandhi? Maybe years ago I might have shared them with you. He said, uh, now Gandhi was a, 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 you know, Mahatma Gandhi was a Indian lawyer who did a lot in regard to uh, nonviolent resistance, which led India to its freedom from British rule. And then he influenced a lot of other nonviolent resistance through the years. But he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And so when I read it, it aggravates me again. I kind of want to, you know, I don't know, something inside me says, well, I know a lot of Christians who are like Christ. In fact, I know a lot of Christians who are a lot like Christ. And so I suppose it's that group of people who claim to be Christian who aren't very much like Christ that give all the Christians who are like Christ a really bad name. What what, what is this gap? This gap between uh, a book that was given to me back a few couple of years ago, what we want to be known for and what we are known for. We want to be known for being the compassionate people, the loving people, the kind people, the gentle people, the peacemakers of the world, right? But there seems to be a gap, and there's people in the world that say, no, I think Christians are more like this. How do you close the gap? In the previous two verses, Paul gives a really difficult illustration to understand. Here's the point of the illustration, though. That we do some things in life that bring us honor. We do other things in life that bring us dishonor. And then he goes into this conversation. And he lists two things that bring us dishonor. I don't know if you're, if you're hearing or reading news about this, but... Um, when I was young, there were some celebrity preachers, which I don't know that those two words should ever go together. Servant preachers, I, I think is good. I can put a lot of words together that I think work a lot better. But it was the days of, uh, I'll probably say the names in this service, but I may not in the next, they wouldn't know them. 
If they don't know the song, you're not heavy, you're my brother, you know. <laughs> Just gave those guys such a hard time last week. Jimmy Baker, Jimmy Swaggered. But, but lately, there's, there's been in the last year or two celebrity preachers who have had moral failure. And not only have they dishonored themselves, but the church has suffered. That's where Paul goes. Things that bring you dishonor, number one, he says, given into the evil desires of your youth. Because of what Paul writes in other letters, we assume he's talking here at least also about sexual temptation. He may have other things in mind, but we, we are sure that that is one of the things that he's dealing with. And so what happens? A person gives in to the evil desires of their youth and they dishonor themselves. The second thing that he says will bring you dishonor is getting involved in foolish and stupid arguments. That's what the paragraph here is all about. Two things. He spends almost no time on this. He just mentions it and moves on. And then he mentions this and he just lives there for the next several verses. Do you ever think it's interesting that he puts the two together? That he says, let me tell you two things that can really bring you dishonor, that will, that it will make you dishonor yourself. One would be falling into sexual temptation and the other would be to get involved in a stupid argument. Now, wait a minute. Okay, I got in an argument with that guy, but I did not run around on my wife. There's a difference. I got a feeling Paul is saying, is there? He goes on to say, why? And this is it. I'm quoting the NLT version. Foolish, ignorant arguments only start fights. And if we're going to fight the good fight, then we got to fight to not fight. When we get involved in these arguments and quarreling, we're fighting to fight. So, I think the question really comes down to this. What do you and I want to be known for? Do we want people to look at us and say, I, I don't agree with them. They're, they're Christians, these neighbors over here next door. But they might be the most kind and gentle, loving and helpful people I've ever known in my life. Or do we want to be known as the Christian neighbors who are quick to jump into an argument with you? I think, I think it all comes down to what do we want to be known for? Do we want to be known for people who are like Christ or people who are not like Christ? I think it's what it all comes down to. What do we want to be known for. 
So um, I recently read a story about a, an apologist, um, a Christian man who, who has set out to defend the gospel and the truths of Scripture. And uh, he, is, he is in a debate with an antagonist, okay, a person who is trying to destroy, you know, the gospel. Um, and in this debate, uh, the apologist takes the antagonist on and maybe for all practical purposes, you would say one, okay? However, when the whole thing is over, other believers who witnessed the event go to the apologist and express real concern about how combative he was and how demeaning he was and how unkind he was to the antagonist. You're a Christian, but man, you were combative and you were unkind and you were demeaning. And you know what the apologist said? I didn't come to save souls. I came to destroy a heretic. I think where Paul is going as we move on now through these next few verses, I think Paul would have said, I wish you would have come to have saved a soul though. I think that would have been the goal. I, I wish you would have come in the room with a totally different mindset and a totally different goal and a totally different outcome. I wish you would have come desiring to save a soul. So I think the question for me is, what can we learn from this passage, you and me, as Paul instructs Timothy about how to live his life and how to instruct the people of Ephesus who are fighting, what can he teach us? What can we learn about how to fight to not fight? And so there's a few things that I'm going to put them on the screen for you. We're going to talk through them, okay? Here we go. Number one, just don't get involved in emotionally charged arguments. He doesn't use the language emotionally charged, but he's talking about these arguments that are just going around and around, okay? These arguments that are getting people worked up. Just don't engage. What, well, but, but what they're saying is not, he says, that you thinking you're going to change their mind when they're emotionally worked up? I don't think so. Just don't, don't. He did, no, zip, nothing. Just let it go. They can say what they want. You just don't have to respond. Just, just don't engage. Don't engage in foolish and stupid arguments. I mean, many times you can see right away where a person is. How many family meals have been absolutely ruined because somebody got involved in an argument that was already emotionally charged? A good rule of thumb might be if it's in the news, just stay away from it. If it's hot in the media, just don't go near it. You might want to write this down. Knowledge is knowing what to say. You might, you might find yourself in a situation where there's, a, there's an argument trying to start, 
it's emotionally charged, and you've got the answer. You really do. I mean, you're on the side of truth. You know where truth is in this thing, and, and you know what to say. That's knowledge. Knowledge is knowing what to say, but wisdom is knowing when to say it. I mean, think about it. I know what to say. I'm standing on the side of truth. I have the words. I can put this person on their back right now on the mat. I've got them. But is it wise to say it now? And so number one, go back to it. Don't get involved in emotionally charged arguments. Here's number two, okay? Um, Be gentle and kind to everyone. That's what Paul, Paul says to Timothy, you're going you're to go into this kind of a hornet's nest. You know, you've got to be gentle and kind to everyone. Now, what, what, what I would say, and maybe what you would say is this, um, I can be kind to people who are being kind to me, right? I mean, if people are being kind and gentle with me, I can be kind and gentle with them. You remember Jesus says something along the lines of, if you only love those who love you, what good have you done? Anybody can do that, you know? I mean, that's just, I mean, a, a puppy does that, right? But, but Jesus talked about loving your enemies. He He doesn't say, be kind and gentle to those who are kind and gentle to you. No, be kind and gentle to everybody. There there are no exceptions for us as believers to be anything but kind or gentle anywhere. So here's number three. Don't be resentful. He, He is essentially saying, do not lose your temper and do not lash out back at them. Whatever, whatever you do, what, whatever's going on in a situation, don't, don't be resentful. Don't lose your temper and don't lash out back at them. It will not end well, I promise you. And then number four, understand in your heart, know this in your heart, it is up to God to change people's hearts. Only God can change somebody's heart. So, Here's, here's what I want to say to you. It, it just makes sense. Okay? I mean, it makes all kinds of sense to me. Let's, let's think about it from this way. Let me go back to the screen one more time, that last slide. Because here's the deal. Let's just suppose that you and I are sideways. All right? You, you walk into my office. You disagree terribly with something that I've done or said or whatever. And we are not in agreement. Uh, I believe this is right. You believe this is right. Okay? I mean, we are not okay. You and me. We're, we, we are sideways right now. And let's suppose I can see in you that you're pretty emotionally charged. Okay? Um, do you want me to come on strong? <laughs> I mean, you're just going to say, Rick, if you do, it's not going to go well. You need to be gentle. You need to be kind to me. I'm telling you, if I walk in your office and I'm emotionally charged, I'm worked up over this, and you're anything but gentle and kind, it's not going to end well. 
If, if you get angry at me, Rick, and lose your temper, and you lash out back at me, that's not going to go well. If you decide in your heart that you are going to change my mind in that meeting, it's not going to go well. I mean, everything I'm seeing here is just like, that makes sense. That's the way I would feel. Is that the way you feel? I think what he does at the very end is brilliant. He challenges us to ask ourselves, what is the goal here? What's the end goal? What do you mean? I mean, what's the end goal? What do you, what do you hope to achieve? I want to win the stupid argument. No, that's not the goal. I want to land them on their back on the mat. That's what I want to do. No, that's not the end goal. If you really believe you're on the side of truth, and they are not, he says the end goal is that we want to free them from the devil's trap. It's about them. It's about their welfare. It's about their eternal destination. It's about their future. It's about their happiness. It's about their life. It's not about me winning. My concern is for them. And when I walk in a situation and my concern is for them, boy, it sure changes things. The tone is different. So, when I was a kid, growing up in that small Kentucky town, my little Nazarene church there in Columbia got into a church fight, an all-out fight. It was bad. Half of the church wanted the preacher to leave. The other half wanted the preacher to stay. And people chose sides. One Sunday, somebody even put a bullet in the offering plate. Now, that'll send a message, right? Don't know who it was intended for, but it will send a message, right? My mother said, we will not choose sides. We will not do it. People wanted us to choose sides. My mama said, we're not doing it. We love everybody. We're not going to fight. I remember one day in the car with my mother, she says to me, Ricky, do you understand what's going on here? The enemy is having his way in our church. And as long as we are fighting with each other, nobody is getting saved. The work of the church isn't going forward. We're not even showing up on Sundays to worship, Ricky. We're showing up to fight. And the devil is having a heyday. And so Paul says, don't do it. <laughs> don't engage. Be gentle. Be kind. Don't be resentful. Fight to not fight. 
So here's what I thought I might do. I ask you to bow your heads with me and just close your eyes if you would. I would love for us to pray together for a moment. I don't think it's one of those Sundays where I, uh, where I say, come to the altar, but you're welcome to come to the altar. Hope you know that. You always are. But I do think it's one of those days when we just kind of bow our heads and we think about our own hearts, our walk with God, our relationships with others, the conflicts, the struggles that we might be involved in. And I think it's one of those moments where we just say, Lord, search my heart, would you? And the Lord may just say something to us like, yeah, you talk too much. You gotta listen to me in those moments. I can help you. I'll give you my strength and power. I'll give you the grace to be victorious when those temptations come. And in a moment, we're going to sing about the fact that Christ is in us and we can overcome. been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.